ghost of a Nelson Mandela coming to you from beyond the cliff to bring you Nelson Mandela's ghostly podcast. Thanks. a gun at my holy Lala. Father, where the devil did you come from? I was hiding in the cupboard. I see. Why? I like to think of myself as somewhat of a cupboard aficionado. I see. That uh, doesn't explain why you are hiding in the cupboard. The true test of a well-crafted cupboard is how comfortably one can stand inside it for extended periods of time. I see. If the craftsmanship furnishes one with relative comfort, equal or greater to the inevitable growing claustrophobia, then the cupboard is good. I see. Mr. Nelson, the spy is dead. Thank you, my pie. Mr. Godler shot him straight between the eyes. Well... There we are then. Oh, hello, listeners. It's me, Nelson Mandela. Welcome to episode 24. Let me explain to you what is. Come! What? In the last episode, you said that I could do the exposition this time. Oh, heavens to Betsy. Very well, Magpie. Have at it. Ahem. Hello, listeners. It's me, the Magpie. And I am a Magpie. I'm also the loyal and true sidekick of none other than Nelson Mandela, who you may know as the former president of South Africa. You join us now for episode 24, where we find ourselves on the ship, the Losty Magpie, named in honor of my good self by my old friend, Jobo the Sea Captain. Jobo was first introduced back in episode 15, which stands out, in my humble opinion, as a pretty terrific episode. We're currently sailing on the ghostly ocean because we are, of course, dead. Dead as doornails. Dead as a dodo. Dead as the spider in your left breast pocket. Now, you may well ask, what is the former president of South Africa doing on a ship with a handsome magpie such as myself? Well, along with Mr. Nelson's father, Gadler Henry Mathakaniswa Mandela, we traveled in secret to meet the leader of the resistance, who happens to be Mr. Nelson's son, Themby. Whilst Themby organized a series of strikes against the evil king, Mr. Nelson and I set off to find the Temple of the Ancients, where we were able to procure the nebulous shield of orbicular imponderability, 
and the mystic stick of malicious intent, which we hope will give us a chance to stop the king, who is, of course, the wielder of the haunted whistle of sexy dreams. I should mention that the king used to be a donkey, that is, until Mr. Nelson unwittingly released him from a curse using the haunted whistle of sexy dreams. So, don't be too perturbed if you hear us refer to the Donkey King, despite the fact that he is actually no longer a donkey. With the nebulous shield of orbicular imponderability and the mystic stick of malicious intent in our possession, we returned back to the secret resistance base, only to find that in our absence, the king had launched an attack. But given that the location of the base was a closely guarded secret, it seemed quite evident that there was a spy in our midst. We ventured out into the ghostly jungle and came across three survivors of the attack and had to treat each man with suspicion for fear that he may be the spy. Fearing that our position was compromised to the very ship we find ourselves on now, a safe haven on the seas, far from the king's reach. We conducted an interrogation of the three men, and soon enough, the spy revealed himself. He revealed himself? Oh, I missed that. No, you amorous old fool. I mean, he revealed that he was the spy. Oh, well, that was disappointing. At which point, he drew a weapon on us, but before he was able to shoot us dead, Mr. Gadler leapt out of the cupboard with the grace and majesty of a ballerina and shot the spy in the head. And now, dear listeners, you join us for episode 24. Well, Magpie, that was one hell of an exposition. Did I miss anything? No, no. I think that was very comprehensive. Really quite impressive. Well done. Ooh! Thank you. No, thank you. So, what now? Well, we've found our spy. That's right. Guard! Oh, yes, sir. I, um, actually, what's your name? I feel bad just calling you guard. Toothless Fanny Whistle. Toothless Fanny Whistle? Toothless Fanny Whistle? Toothless Fanny Whistle! Aye, Toothless Fanny Whistle. Yes. Anyway, you may release the other two men. They are innocent, and by God, they must be freed forthwith. Yes, sir. And see to it that they have some fresh clothes and a fine meal. Yes, sir. Father, Magpie, come. Let us thank Captain Jobo for his hospitality. Oh, you're very welcome. Bugger me blind! Where did you come from? What are you talking about? I've been studying for quite some time. Prior to which, I was hiding in this chest. What were you doing in the chest? I was furiously masturbating. Not once, not twice, but thrice. In the end, no came out but dust. Ugh. Why? Oh, I loves an interrogation, me. Why furiously? Well, I like to touch myself vigorously. Sometimes, uh... We don't need to hear it, thank you, Captain. Oh, 
Suit yourself. Well, I suppose we should be leaving. Yes, we need to locate your son, Thembi, and work out our next move. Jovo, do you have a lifeboat we can borrow by any chance? I'll not see you in a lifeboat when you deserve the full hospitality of me ship and crew. Wherever you wish to go, I will take you. Thank you, my friend. Yes, thank you, Captain. You're welcome. So, where do you want to go? Just to the mainland, please. Very well. We'll need disguises for when we reach the mainland. I'm sure we'll have something suitable in our stores. Come, I'll take you. Sailing, master! Aye, Cotton. Set sail for the mainland. Aye, Cotton. Set sail for the mainland, you scurvy dogs. Well, tickle my whiskers. This is quite the collection of costumes. Well, it gets quite lonely out at sea. So sometimes the men like to dress up and put on amateur productions of classic Broadway shows. You don't say. I do, I do say. I believe that the boys are currently working on Death of a Salesman. Well, I dare say. We'll be spoiled for choice in what disguises we can pick from. Here. Father? We should wear these. I don't understand. We shall masquerade as a traveling quintet of blind homosexual Norwegian jugglers. I have a question. Go on. Several, in fact. My jugglers. And why do we have to be homosexuals? We don't have to be homosexuals. Although, we must pretend to be homosexuals. How does one pretend to be a homosexual? Through any means necessary. It is an absolute necessity for the disguise to work. Why? The king will have soldiers hunting for us all over the ghostly land. If stopped, we will claim to be a traveling quintet of blind, homosexual, Norwegian jugglers, and our inquisitors may be sufficiently confused as to not look past our ruse. I think your plan raises more questions than necessary. Perhaps more than if we went without disguises. Agreed. And... It is rather offensive to the LGBTQ plus community. And Norwegians. Indeed. And the blind. Yes. So. And the blind. Yes, Magpie. Anyway. And jugglers. Enough, Magpie. So, Father, I think your plan may not be the best course of action. Nonsense. Nobody is harmed by us pretending to be blind, homosexual Norwegian jugglers. Father, no. Well, do as you like. I'll go as a traveling quintet of blind, homosexual Norwegian jugglers all by myself. Out of curiosity, can you juggle? No. But how will you... Magpie, let him have it. Very well. What about us, Mr. Nelson? What shall we disguise ourselves as? Oh. What is it? Deja vu. Deja vu? Quiet, Magpie. 
It's not important. I just had a random memory pop into my head. A random memory? Yes. Of what? Of a vaguely similar predicament I found myself in many, many years ago. Tell us, Mr. Nelson. Oh, no. That won't be necessary. Oh. Holy Shasha! It is rude to keep secrets. It's not a secret, Father. I just thought it unnecessary to recant the story. But I love stories. So do I. Besides, it will help to pass the time. Very well. Hells bells, Achtung schnell. I've got a story to tell. freedom from prison earlier that year, on 11th of February, to be precise, embarked on a six-week, 13-nation tour of Europe, North America, and Africa. It was on a 25th June, 1990, and I found myself in a Washington, D.C., the capital of the United States of America to meet the then-president, George Bush, to discuss the developments in South Africa and the struggle for freedom. I had recently undergone a complex surgery to burst a cyst in my bladder, but I nonetheless walked with a spring in my step as the president and I approached the pulpit I was in particularly high spirits as the welcome I had received thus far on my visit across the USA was overwhelming in its support, and I was keen to thank the American people for the role they had played and would continue to play in the fight against apartheid. I think we're ready. I think we are. Well, welcome to all of you, and uh, it is a great pleasure, a sincere pleasure, uh, for Barbara and me to welcome to the White House uh, Mr. and Mrs. Mandela. Mr. Mandela, a man who embodies the hopes of millions. In our meetings this morning, he and I will talk about the future of South Africa, and it is my sincere hope that these talks will be productive, discussions that will contribute to positive change towards true democracy and the dismantling, once and for all, of apartheid. We meet at a time of, we meet at a time of transition for South Africa. We applaud the recent steps President de Klerk and the government of South Africa have taken to expand the rights and freedoms of all South Africans. These are positive developments, steps towards fully free and democratic future that we all wish to see for all the people of South Africa. In order for progress to continue, we must see on all sides a clear commitment to change. All parties must seize the opportunity to move ahead in a spirit of compromise and tolerance 
flexibility and patience. And from all parties, we look for a clear and unequivocal commitment to negotiations leading to peaceful change. I call on elements in South African society to renounce the use of violence and armed struggle, break free from the cycle of repression and violent reaction that breeds nothing but more fear and suffering. In the words of the great Martin Luther King Jr., let us not seek to satisfy our thirst for freedom by drinking from the cup of bitterness and hatred. Mr. Mandela, in the eyes of millions, Around the world, you stand against apartheid, against a system that bases the rights and freedoms of citizenship on the color of one's skin. That system is repugnant to the conscience of men and women everywhere, repugnant to the ideals that we in America hold so dear. No system that denies the rights that belong to each and every individual can endure forever. Apartheid must end. The United States, committed to the concept of free market and a productive private sector, is ready to do its part to encourage rapid and peaceful change toward political and economic freedom. We will continue to urge American firms that are still doing business in South Africa to play a progressive role in training and empowering blacks and building a foundation for future prosperity. But while the reform process moves forward, and it has, Apartheid remains a reality, and genuine democracy a dream. Our sanctions have been designed to support change, and when the conditions laid down in our law have been met, uh, then and only then we will consider, in consultation with the Congress, whether a change in course will promote further progress through peaceful negotiations. Uh, Mr. Mandela, we in this country support the struggle against apartheid, and for two centuries, we had our own battles. Uh, America fought its own battles to promote the standard of equal rights. It was here at the White House, in a room now obscured by these uh, coverings, because we're repainting the White House, but it's right there, uh, in the midst of the Civil War, that Abraham Lincoln signed the Emancipation Proclamation, that great beacon of light and hope. And in the room where this historic document was signed, even now we feel the power of that undeniable truth that guided Lincoln's hand, that all men must be free. In this past year, freedom has made great gains. A terrible chapter of oppression has ended for millions of men and women in Eastern Europe, in Asia, and in this hemisphere. People have defeated through peaceful means dictatorships that promised freedom and progress but delivered only poverty and repression. The triumph is far from universal. There are still those who rule through force and terror. But I, uh, the events of this year have been clear. The future belongs not to the dwindling ranks of the world's dictators, but to democracy, the millions of friends of freedom the world over. Mr. Mandela, you said many years ago before the first of your 10,000 days in prison, that there is no easy walk to freedom. Your years of suffering, your nation's suffering, have borne that out. But just as this past year, so many of millions of people in Eastern Europe and elsewhere too tasted freedom, so too South Africa's time will come. 
As Martin Luther King said on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial, we cannot walk alone. Sir, we here in America walk in solidarity with all of South Africans who seek through non-violent means democracy, human rights, and freedom. Once again, it is a sincere privilege to welcome you to the White House, and may God bless you and all the people of South Africa. Welcome, sir. Thank you. <clears throat> Mr. President, it is an honor and a pleasure for my wife, my delegation, and I to be welcomed by you. This is a continuation of the rousing welcome which we have received from the people of New York and Boston, a black and a white. That welcome has far exceeded our wildest expectations. We look forward to visiting Atlanta and other cities because we are confident that the warm welcome we have received is not confined to New York, Boston, and Washington. That move expresses the commitment of all the people of the United States of America to the struggle for the removal of apartheid. One thing that is very clear, and it has been made even more clear in the remarks by the President, is that on the question of the removal of apartheid and the introduction of a non-racial democracy in our country, we are absolutely unanimous. That is something that we have always known, because the people of America, and the President in particular, has spoken in this regard in very clear and firm terms, and this has been a source of great encouragement to our people to receive the support of any government is in our situation something of enormous importance. But to receive the support of the government of the United States of America, the leader of the West, is something beyond words. If today we are confident that the dreams which have inspired us all these years is about to be real, realized, it is in a very large measure because of the support we have got from the masses of the people of the United States of America, and in particular from the government and from the president. There are very important political developments that have taken place in our country today, and it is my intention to brief the president as fully as possible on these developments. We are doing so because it is necessary for him to understand, not only in broad outline, what is happening in our country. He must be furnished with the details which may not be so available to the public, so that the enormous assistance he has given us should be related to the actual developments in the country. I will also ask the President to maintain sanctions 
Because it is because of sanctions that a such enormous progress has been made in the attempt to address the problems of our country. I will also inform him about developments as far as the armed struggle is concerned. The remarks he has made here are due to the fact that he has not yet got a proper briefing from us. I might just state in passing that are the methods of political action which are used by the black people of South Africa were determined by the South African government. As long as the government is prepared to talk, to maintain channels of a communication between itself and the governed, there can be no question of violence whatsoever. But when a government decides to ban political organizations of the oppressed, intensifies oppression, and does not allow any free political activity, no matter how peaceful and non-violent, then the people have no alternative but to resort to violence. There is not a single political organization in our country, inside and outside parliament, which can ever compare to the African National Congress in its total commitment to peace. If we were forced to resort to violence, it is because we had no other alternative whatsoever. But even in this regard, there have been significant developments which I hope to brief the President on. I am also going to brief the President on the key role which the ANC now occupies in the country as a result of his efforts to mobilize the entire country around the question of peace. We have and are addressing the question of black unity. We are also addressing ourselves to means and methods to helping Mr. De Klerk to maintain his position with confidence and to go on with negotiations without looking over his shoulder. We have already started important initiatives in trying to mobilize the white community, not only those who support him, but even the right wing, because we are the only organization in the world that can help Mr. De Klerk to maintain his position. And I am going to urge on the president not to do anything without full consultation with the ANC in regard to any initiative which he might propose to take in order to help the peace of process in the country. As people who are operating inside and as the architects of the peace process, it is absolutely necessary for everybody who wants to be of assistance in the struggle of the black people inside the country and who want to promote, to help promote the peace process, to have full consultation with the ANC before any step is taken. Finally, uh, Mr. President, I would like to congratulate you and President Gorbachev for the magnificent efforts that you are making in order to reduce international tensions and to promote peace. It is my hope that governments throughout the world will follow your example and attempt to settle problems 
between governments and between governments and dissidents inside each country by peaceful methods. You have, you and Comrade Gorbachev have opened a chapter in world history which might well be regarded as a turning point in many respects. And here we congratulate you and wish you every success. Great statement. No notes. It was wonderful. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Well, we gotta go to work now. Yes, sir. Hello, my friends. It's me, Nelson Mandela. Nelson Mandela's GhostlyPodcastings.com. Nelson Mandela's GhostlyPodcastings.com. Nelson Mandela's GhostlyPodcastings.com. Nelson. Mandela's Ghostly Podcasters At this point in an episode of my podcastings, it is of course customary for me to take the opportunity to say hello, thank you for listening, and to shamelessly promote the podcast. Today, however, I would like to tell you a story. In the spring of 1920, I saved a bumblebee from almost certain death. He had, as most flying insects do in their relatively short and difficult lives, flown into a man-made structure and found himself confounded by the madness of huge glass windows trapped by a wall invisible to his mere insect eyes. In his desperation, he repeatedly smashed into the glass. From my perspective, a gentle bump, but from his experience, a series of brutal collisions that must have resulted in at least one serious bump to his noggin. In a dazed stupor, he flew haphazardly into a corner of an upper window thick with cobwebs and found himself stuck fast as his desperate attempts to free himself caused vibrations through the web from a crack in the wall. A monstrously huge spider slowly extended its front legs out of the crack. The hairs on those legs already regarding his prey as the spider no doubt began to salivate and quiver with murderous anticipation, a pang of guilt struck me. I, after all, had left the door to the building open, and I quickly resolved to rescue the bee from the arachnid jaws of death. As I desperately searched for a tool to free the bee from his silky prison, he too struggled roaring with every ounce of his strength to escape the web, moving millimeter by millimeter until he was all but completely free, the last ring of the web still exerting its hold. I grabbed a plastic watering can with a long spout 
and held it high above my head. The lip of the spout resting gently beside the bee. Grab on, Mr. Bumblebee, I shouted with genuine sincerity. And sure enough, with one last surge of strength, the bee latched onto the spout with his legs, and I lifted him free from the web before carrying him into the parking lot. Once free, I gently tapped the watering can, and the bee flew away instantly, high off into the distance. Fair weather and fine flying, my winged friend. Goodbye, Mr. Bumblebee, and farewell. Anyway, welcome, listeners, old and new, to Nelson Mandela's ghostly podcastings. Thank you to all our patient listeners who have eagerly awaited a new transmission from beyond the grave and the continuation of my dramatic adventures. I hope that you are enjoying your own adventure and pursuing your dreams of glory in spite of any trials you face or sadness that befalls you. You are a good person and I believe in you. Whoever you are, wherever you are, this is the ghost of a Nelson Mandela wishing you a beautiful day. President Bush and I talked for hours, and after I had finished briefing him fully on the situation in South Africa, he smiled and relaxed back into the sofa in the Oval Office. Well, I think that there just about does it. Thank you, Mr. President. It has been a privilege to brief you on these matters. Before uh, we have lunch, there's something I want to show you. I raised an eyebrow quizzically, unsure of what to make of the mischievous expression on the president's face. Then, President Bush got up from the sofa he was sat on and sauntered over to the resolute desk and dropped onto his knees. Mr. President, I asked, concerned for his well-being. I can never find this damn button. Aha! Suddenly, the rug showing the seal of the President of the United States, located squarely in the center of the Oval Office, split apart, lifting in opposite directions to reveal the entrance to a bunker in the floor. Follow me, Mr. Mandela. As the President and I descended into his secret bunker, I wondered what dark and salubrious place President Bush was leading me to as he smiled, giddy as a schoolboy, whilst he clutched my wrist with his clammy, sweaty palm. What I'm about to show you is classified as top secret. Oh, I see. I trust I can count on your discretion, Mr. Mandela. Of course, Mr. President. As we walked into the presidential vault, which I later learned was originally conceived of as a panic room to evacuate the president to in the event of a national security threat and had been, under the Bush presidency, converted into a museum of rare and beautiful objects. 
I was in awe of the sheer size of this room I found myself stood in, perhaps as large as a college gymnasium, or thereabouts. I wondered how far it stretched out underneath the White House. Well, here it is. Crimson Jim Jams! Before me, housed in huge glass cases, was a huge collection of samurai armor. Do you know what this is? If I am not mistaken, it appears to be a suit of a samurai armor. You're damn right, Mr. Mandela. It's a very nice. I thought you'd like it. It's beautiful and terrifying. Well, the armor itself was designed not only to be practical, but also intimidating. The design is simply magnificent. Where does it come from? Uh, Japan. <clears throat> I mean, what is the history of this exquisite collection, Mr. President? Oh, well, uh, this particular set is part of a collection of around 200 suits of samurai armor that were originally donated to the Smithsonian Institute in 1948 by an anonymous benefactor. An anonymous benefactor? That's right. Who was it? Uh, the benefactor? Yes. Uh, he was, uh, anonymous. I see. Officially, it was made in about 1205 in Kamakura, which at that time was the de facto capital of Japan. And unofficially? Well, that's the thing, Mr. Mandela. When the armor was donated to the Smithsonian, it was carbon dated, and we found that it contained metallic elements that aren't found anywhere in our periodic table. What are you getting at, Mr. President? Meaning it came from outer space, Mr. Mandela. Outer space. Well, peel my potatoes! Samurai from outer space? Incredible, isn't it? It's very nice. But why, may I ask, are you showing it to me? Well, aside from the fact that I wanted you to understand that for the past 40 years, the United States has been preparing for an invasion from extraterrestrial samurai warriors from outer space, I heard what you said in your speech earlier, and I was reminded of this here armor. And what, may I ask, was it that I said in my speech that reminded you of the ever-present threat of invasion from extraterrestrial samurai warriors? It was when you said about having no other alternative but violence. I see. You were right, Mr. Mandela. When there is no option for peace, there is honor in shedding blood for the noble cause of peace. You, sir, are a samurai warrior. A samurai warrior? Mr. President, I am merely a servant of my people. <laughs> Mr. Mandela, the word samurai literally means one who serves. Huh, a samurai. I guess that that makes you the samurai of South Africa. <laughs> Magpie. Why did our search for disguises remind you of that very strange memory? Because we have no need of disguises. We don't? No. Why not? Because I am a samurai, and this will be our armor.
Sorry, I can't. 